businesses have to evolve to do a completely different kind of thinking until now most people most businesses put customer first in our organization we took employees first you have great employees the customers are taken care of automatically the uniformer insights and interviews into the people and companies that drive the markets for uniforms image apparel and public safety equipment the Uniformer is a production of the Network Association of Uniform Manufacturers and Distributors, the NAUMD. Welcome to The Uniformer. I am Rick Levine, Executive Director of the NAUMD, and thrilled, really thrilled to be sitting here today with my friend Anil Kariwala of Kariwala Industries. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Anil. It's a great pleasure, likewise, uh, Rick. So, Anil, this is your name on the company, right? This is a company you started and you hold the title of CEO. And I like to start these chats by saying, so what does it mean to be the CEO of Kariwala Industries? And what do you actually do throughout the year? As a CEO, I am de facto a coach for my team. Though I should do a lot of executive things, several years ago, I took a step back and chose that I have to essentially be a coach. So throughout the year, I would say I coach I, and I conceive. So connect with fine, fine people like you, with members of the uniform industry in any UMD and other organizations. And conceive as conceive ideas, basically identify what are the new ideas, what are the critical thinking that I can do, what is the creative thinking I can do. There are five steps of thinking, critical thinking, creative thinking, analytical thinking, design thinking, and systems thinking. So I focus on one of these five thinkings at one time or another. That's where conceive ideas and put it to the team to go ahead and execute that. I love that. So the three C's, is this an Anil original? It must be there in some management literature. Design thinking is a very common thing these days. Yes. It's a more spoken phrase. But critical, creative thinking and analytical thinking. So but the three C's of coach, conceive. Coach, connect and conceive. Connect. Coach, that, connect that's and conceive. That's original. Yeah, that I really like. Yes, I've heard about the the different schools of thinking and that's very, what's that where you're a black belt in organizational uh, systems and things like that. I forget what that process it's is called. something like Six Sigma Black Belt. Six Sigma, yes. Six Sigma Black Belt, Green Belts and so on. Yes. It's a little reminiscent of that when you start talking about the different ways of thinking about it. But I really appreciate that answer because not that it hasn't always been this way, but it's especially this way because now we try to take the head and the heart and the body in mind with all of our stakeholders. What are our employees thinking and feeling and doing, as well as what are our customers thinking and feeling and doing? And where it's not as much of a conveyor belt that it, it seems to me that CEOs operate on these days. They need to account for all of these different thought processes to create a, a wonderful picture for their company. I totally resonate with you. It is We have to do, businesses have to evolve to do a completely different kind of thinking. Until now, most people, most businesses put customer first. 
in our organization we took employees first you have great mm. employees the customers are taken care of automatically that's the reason why a good ceo would be one who effectively is a good coach to have the team work to be the go getter team without being the stressed out uh, go getters so one is a conscious go getter one is a compulsive go getter so my role as a ceo is as a coach is to develop a bunch of conscious individuals who would not be doing something compulsively not for incentives not for targets we don't have defined targets in the business how do you know if you're successful of course uh, number <laughs> successful is always what gets measured gets improved gets better so we of course would measure numbers but we would not push someone to define to work essential on targets reaching targets that doesn't mean that we are not an ambitious organization targets is always associated with result and we trust the process we focus the process so if the process is good it's very likely that the results would also be good so targets invariably get met we do have non numerical targets that this much we will be able to do better so it could be our targets could be that how many more employees we are able to provide employment to rather than how much sales we are able to have more so there are still two sides of the same coin so nobody is going to hire more employees with the same sales so we would measure that how many how much more employment we are able to generate this year for example very interesting wow i really like that and your company has always had i've known you a few years now and you've always had a clear mission or it has always been explained to me <laughs> like i i understood your mission right away you focus this on being a good corporate citizen you empower women in the workplace so it's not just employees you specifically are empowering women in the workplace you run your factory on solar energy maybe more than one factory and solar energy and and then all these other socially responsible activities are, are you just by nature a good person thank you so much for calling me that <laughs> but uh, say if i ask you what is the purpose of uh, all the economic activity all of us we do any economic activity the sole purpose is to feel joyful to feel happy to be happy about it isn't it could there be any other reason cliche as i do it because i need food and i want to provide for my family but but without food you would not be happy so in uh, effect food is a stepping stone to being happy to be to feel good let's put it this way for is about feeling good so if you do your daily grind what one would call as a daily grind we do it with that feel goodness the happiness quotient as the highest value proposition for the employees and for the customers or for the suppliers or for the neighboring community it would give you immense amount of joy just to go to work so one thing which i always tell my team and one restaurant which i never go to my go in person is thank god is friday because could it be that i suffer the entire week just to enjoy the weekend thank god is friday now is every day is a great day so then why all the other stuff why solar energy why employee 
what do you employ like a thousand women <laughs> about a thousand people and solar energy is again it felt what is it that we can do better for our only home that's the only home that we have the earth and i personally am a great believer that solar energy is economically is a great economic value proposition ecology and economics must be married together mother nature and father prophet must also be married together mm. so solar energy is good for mother nature but it is also father prophet she is married to father prophet and solar energy the payback period is just 2 years it makes far much more economic sense we have 65% of our electric consumption coming from solar panels so that's a great economic value proposition at the same time which is like a lot if you're running a thousand sewing machines <laughs> yeah that's a lot of solar panels but the machines are becoming more and more energy efficient ah. lightings are again far more efficient hvac is becoming more and more efficient and if you have that with solar energy and for example for our ironing system not just solar panels we preheat the water for for steam ironing in uniform industry you need to have boilers that would iron clothes and that water requires obviously 100 degrees instead of room temperature if the water is preheated by solar panels not solar photovoltaic panels not electricity but just solar water heaters which are not expensive the energy consumption comes down by at least 80% so why isn't everyone doing this i have been i hope people listening to this podcast would do that there is so much mother nature the bounty of mother nature we must all benefit from why to heat up water from room temperature when the sun can do 80% of the job and in our parts of the world we have so much sun why should we completely be using electricity to heat up that much mm. and all those things these initiatives helped us bring in a purpose amongst our employees everybody felt that there is a purpose that we are doing something but we are doing something with this purposeful way with this much of consciousness that we tend to, most of us we tend to especially the corporate world tends to underestimate the power of human consciousness so there was one of a great book i was reading earlier this year a book by daniel pink called drive <laughs> what drives people to accomplish more and money is not a great motivating factor i was talking with a couple of other people recently for this podcast <clears throat> and they talked about how much what you're describing right now relates to them bringing in the younger generation into our companies and how to recruit and retain is so much a part of what you're now um, uh, speaking to which is what's the purpose young people uh, someone used this word they said seriousness it was uh, rosella de angelo from clopman international and she talked about what for young people they're looking for a serious company somebody that is working on something that's worthwhile in this world not just i need a job that's right that's right if the purpose is profits you elude that 
So if the purpose is beyond profits, then it becomes a more joyful workplace. So young, the Gen Z and the Gen X, as we call them, whatever you call them, or the millennials, yeah. <laughs> they are far less materialistic and they're far more purpose-driven than many of us in our previous generations. Yeah. Previous generation. Why do we think that is? <laughs> because my generation messed up the world. And so now they feel we like did we need mess up the world. I think that's how societies and civilizations evolve, building up on few things. Whenever whatever we did was never when, for example, when plastic came in, we thought of wow, what a wonder material it is. And now we know that it is no longer the wonder material. Mm. Our oceans are flooded with millions and millions of tons of plastic every year. Yeah. And now good thing is that change is beginning to happen. And we feel very good to do our small bit in that. And that's what each one of our employees feels, that they are doing something to make the world a better place, not just for the job, but making the world a slightly better place. Love it. So speaking of plastics, at the 2024 convention, we're going to have someone coming and talking about PFAS and how as manufacturers and sellers, we have to think about the the accountability and liability of it all. Like where, you know, how can we really get our brains around removing toxicity from our products. But that segues me into, let's talk about Kariwala's products, because actually we started at a very high level, right? <laughs> so I know that you just, your factory produces such a variety of products. I'm aware of one specialty where you have a, where it protects a worker from a chainsaw, which in and of itself is amazing to me, right? But then you also do medical scrubs, which have a totally different technology specification. You do regular uniforms, industrial uniforms. By the word regular, just more of just a common shirts and pants, let's say, right? It's quite a variety. Can you talk about the variety of the products that you're producing and how do you keep it all straight as far as keeping quality and process the where you want it? Process is the key. See, quality has two aspects. One is external. <coughs> external could be pertaining to the performance, let's say, is linked to the raw materials you have access to, the supply chain you have access to. That's one part of the coin, one part of the value chain. But the greatest part is what the process is. At the end of the day, in uniform industry, it is essentially sewing and sewing from point A to point B. If you are able to set up linear assembly lines, and but the most important ingredient that we have to keeping everything fine is, it might sound slightly esoteric, but we consider happiness as an ingredient, as a raw material to have a better quality product. For example, if you write an email also, if you're in a good mood, it's good chance that it would show on the other end mm. that this email was written with a good mood. So likewise, same is with production employees. They would be, if they are more joyful, if they are more purpose-driven, 
they would be able to do a better quality of the product, no matter what the product is. But then if we tell them that you are producing these tree care workers and your product would prevent a chainsaw to, from cutting the leg of the person who is working on that, it builds up a purpose. It is not just a product. Same is when we put in about uniforms. We tell them, what is the uniform industry? We told them we chose, we had a choice between go to the fashion industry and the uniform industry. What I like about the uniform industry is the, I have always seen when I was in the, as a cadet in the Indian Navy, as a student in those days, the pride that I had with the uniform, it was the pride, purpose, and most importantly, let's say three Ps, pride, purpose, and the psychological safety. What does so that the mean? psychological safety is, if you have read Sapiens, the book by Noah Harari, we still have the tribe mentality. When we are part of a tribe, we feel psychological safety. So when we are in uniforms, it feels, it creates a sense of psychological safety to the wearer. And you feel that, okay, here these many people are part of my tribe and you feel safe in that, that environment. And then the pride and then businesses, employees wearing uniforms, they always have <coughs> feel a greater uh, pride and purpose. So we tell them that not only you are wearing uniforms yourself, but you are wearing, you are in a business which is uh, going to give these things to the to them. For example, when the pandemic struck, we were closed only for one week because we were requisitioned by the government to produce PPE yeah. for the doctors. And everyone felt I was at home. There was no way I could go to the factory. Our factories are quite far away. I all I told to the employees that you are COVID warriors and it is important. We don't know how many of us would survive, but it is important that we produce this so that the doctors survive. You know, in the first wave of wave of pandemic, when the first lockdowns happened, the fear was a lot more than the virus itself. And the second wave, the fear was a lot less than the virus. The virus was more, fear was less. That probably created a lot more um, in the second wave. But in the first wave, when we were requisitioned that we must produce PPE suits for the government, all the employees stood up to the challenge and they had a greater purpose and people, and there were times when we had to ask people to take rest. This is already it's beyond eight hours. You say, no, we are not bothered with overtime. Our employees refused to take overtime. That is not required. Of course, it was a law. We would do that. They say that we want to produce more, not for overtime, but we want to produce to keep our doctors safe. And did, like a lot of factories that I know of that were stayed open because they were deemed essential or requested to, to pivot to PPE, they did go through waves of people getting ill, though. So was that a challenge that your workers were? Some got sick, I assume, right? Fortunately for us, workers didn't get sick. In our case, we were very fortunate. But the unintended situation that happened was when our workers came to work from their villages, there's some vigilante in their villages 
they stopped them from entering back oh so we That's had hard. to make arrangements for them to stay at the factory and so on and the factory is obviously not geared up but it's a war time situation so you have to do things no it was like a war time situation so we had to do whatever was necessary well, our general manager he himself stayed back in the factory can uh -huh. you just imagine in the showroom of the factory there was my office became worked up showed doubled up his his bedroom and so on so that was a situation but that was the level of motivation that we are doing something for a great purpose and we have to do it yeah the money was not the factor for anyone amazing that's i had not heard that that you went through that during the pandemic period and was it more than masks was it other types of garments as well as well as the ppe suits the non woven ppe suits we were producing it before pandemic for a german company so as a full suit workwear company that was requ requested by us requested uh to us to produce and uh, we stood up to the challenge and then pandemic happened so we so were already how to produce it yeah that that was good right some factories tried to pivot to products that they weren't as familiar with that that's great that you were able to jump in right away and say no we we know how to do this so we'll right. keep doing right. that so how many countries are you mentioned germany and i know the reason you and i are talking is because you have customers in north america how right. many countries is kariwala working with customers in now uh, we we have two divisions in the company one which is the the majority is the uniforms and workwear and we also have given the sustainability freak that i always was and much before sustainability became a buzzword <laughs> i didn't know long time ago some 25 years ago i didn't know what to do with the short pieces of the uniform fabrics so we made that was caught in those days there were a lot of cotton uniforms in europe now it is mostly pcs but that time was cotton uniforms so we made some promotional bags out of that and lo and behold it became a category of business by itself so we are exporting uniforms to 14 countries but in total including the bags we are exporting now to 42 countries 42 wow including new zealand in the extreme east mm -hmm. to the united states in the west that's the whole planet <laughs> <laughs> thank you 42 countries that's congratulations that's, thank you so that's a lot of logistics that's a lot of that that has its own set of challenges right this is not at all a challenge because logistics the world networks of logistic companies they're doing a pretty good job for us it's just bringing the goods up to the main port kolkata which is a very well connected port for east as well as west so you say if we have to ship the goods to the us east coast it would be traveling west from india if we have to ship the goods to the west coast from kolkata port the goods are traveling east mm. via singapore and over the pacific ocean mm. so logistics is the world has undergone a complete sea change in logistics is far much more organized and far more digital then it seems like um i guess i'm i'm remembering when for a short period i guess about a year post pandemic that logistics was a nightmare for everyone because we were everything was clogged the whole system was clogged that's right 
that was the time yeah that was the time that was a very exceptional like once in a century event but things got but everything moved still moved in those days also it took longer time and at 10x the price yes so so you feel like very, now we're global again everything's moving like we're all we're able to have our just in time world again right yeah everything, everything is in just in time back to just in time world indeed yeah interesting okay and you have also been a strong advocate and practitioner of yoga. I know we've talked a lot about happiness <laughs> and maybe this whole happiness drug here is drug, my friend. And <laughs> I am proud of that drug. So well, I would like to be the drug peddler. I would like to peddle yeah. as much of that drug as possible. I love that. He's a peddler of the drug happiness. But right. yoga, we have millions of practitioners of yoga in North America. Yoga has, you know, it's it's a global uh, way to to exercise. It's a global way to de-stress. It's, it's an accepted world. But you've taken it and you've said, we can use this as a metaphor. And you came to talk to our network group, NAUMD, about this, to use yoga as a metaphor for business. For here's how you can think about your business processes. Again, we're back to thinking. Tell us about business yoga. Uh, the metaphor is the other way around. Is yoga, the exercises is an extension of the principles of yoga. Yoga is, is a Sanskrit word, which means union. So for a human being, it's a union of the mind, body, and the consciousness, whether you call it soul or you call it consciousness, but it is something which is beyond the three dimensions, beyond the ability of uh, science, beyond the ability of physics. It is beyond physics. It is metaphysics. So it's the union of these three things. So similarly, for a business organization, a business needs to have the physical infrastructure, which is the body of the business. Mm. The mind of the business is the people who manage the business, the governance of the business. But what is the consciousness of the business? The, the consciousness of the business is the collective consciousness of all the people who are working in that business. Whether those people are conscious people or whether those people are compulsive people, the opposite of consciousness in yoga is not unconscious, but the opposite is compulsive. Conscious and compulsive. Conscious people would do something on their own volition. Compulsive people will do something when they are asked to do something. When they are compelled to do something. So consciously, to give you an example, to consciously follow traffic rule is a conscious thing. Everybody stands to benefit. For example, in India, when the seat belts were introduced much later than they were introduced in America, it was like only some 20, 25 years ago. So there were some people who would put it on because the police is watching and some would put it on because it is in my interest to be safe. But then there were some people who had t-shirts with a seat belt printed on that so that the police would not catch them. <laughs> So they were a cross between conscious and they were maybe unconscious people. They are cross between conscious and compulsive. So business yoga is basically 
a philosophy of yoga is a way of life likewise by extension business yoga is a way of life it has eight different parts to it it begins with yama which is a sanskrit word again which means the thoughts so everything begins with the thoughts so what you think thought is what your vision is what your mission is most of us we come across uh, vision statements or mission statements of businesses which is only either they may not have it and if they do have it it is only a piece on the wall but if you ask people in the organization there is a pretty good chance that only a small fraction of people would be able to answer what the mission statement is what the mission is so if you don't know where you are going you could take any road isn't it likewise that's the philosophy of yoga that you begin with the end in mind this is the process this is the mission this is where we want to go so there are eight steps in the interest of time i would just switch to step number 4 which is something called pranayam which is about breathing right forms of breathing so pranayama is a uh, form of breathing for all of us to live we need to breathe but breathing cannot be the purpose of living likewise for a business to live it must be a business that is self sustaining it must be a profitable business even if it is a not for profit business then also it must be able to generate surplus over the expenses they don't call it profit but still the business must be self sustaining mm. but profit again cannot be the purpose of the business profit is a by product of the main purpose the main purpose is solving a problem creating a value and then capturing some part of that value so it, what you capture you create a value what you capture is the sales of the business and what you eventually are able to save from that is just your profit that enables you to reinvest and expand that business so likewise for breathing we would want to breathe in as cool and as fresh air as possible as like we in india we would go to himalayas to have better quality yeah. oxygen and to breathe better yeah likewise a business's profit must be purer profit better profit a purer and better profit would be one where the uh, the business is socially compliant environmentally compliant if a business is say operating out of sweatshops to save money garment factories are known for that in some countries yes without being any of my neighboring countries i don't mean any disrespect <laughs> i think actually it happens in every country yes the emerging countries whose economies maybe aren't as mature as other company countries might be more susceptible to a sweatshop environment even here in the united states we notoriously had sweatshops in new york for a very long time so yeah that if a prof, if the place the workplace is a better place is a more joyful place then the profits would be still be like like better oxygen better air they would be they would come more initially they might take some time for example if you want to take enjoy the fresh air of the himalayas you have to travel there that would take time that would take some effort 
Likewise, for cleaner profits, it takes some more effort. I call that conscious capitalism. I'm a great fan of capitalism. I don't want to touch socialism with a barge pole also. So conscious capitalism is something that would improve the quality of profits and uh, then the quality of all the people who are associated with that business. So the, all the eight steps of the business, the last step is something called samadhi, which means how you are able to self-actualize. So basically, we have four, four needs as human beings. Mm. The physical needs, need for food, shelter, clothing, which is almost everyone gets that. The second need is uh, the social need. Social need, the need to recognize and be, the need to love and be loved. Mm. And the third is mental needs, the need to fulfill mental faculties, the need to, need to learn, and also the need to teach. We would love to all of us, you would hardly come across anyone who doesn't like to teach something to someone else. And at the top of the, that is spiritual needs. So many people confuse spiritual needs with religious needs, but they are very different from each other. Spiritual need is what you would feel, what the spirit would feel good. That's what yoga is all about. The union of the spirit or consciousness or the soul with the mind and the body. So I would like to peddle the drug of business yoga also wherever I can. It really goes back to what you said at the start of our talk, which is just the happiness quotient, right? Which is you're using different metaphors. You're using different thinking methods in order to still arrive at that happiness quotient, no matter how you divide it up or think about it. And there's this whole approach of work-life balance of, and that you have work and you have play and you have love, right? And there's this intersection between the three of them. And that's where the most happiness perhaps can be found. And I love that you, uh, the ways that you express it. I take uh, the work-life balance expression with a pinch of salt and I'll say you why. I don't personally believe in the concept of uh, work-life balance. Have you heard of sleep-life balance? Sleep-life balance? No, you no. never heard of it. No. Food life, how about food-life balance? <laughs> never. So that's an integral part of life. So yeah. work is an integral part of life. It is all about life. So if the moment we think it to be an external part of life, probably we would need to have a balance. But if it is an integral part of life, you don't need to have a balance. Mm. So all you need to identify what, as you were mentioning about those three diagrams, is actually the Japanese call it Ikigai. It's what is the four, four say, is draw a Venn diagram yeah. where what you love to do, what you're good at, what the world needs, and what, most importantly, the world can pay you for. Hmm. If the four things combine together, that small place is your ikigai. That's what raises your happiness quotient. If it raises your happiness quotient, you would be healthy. If the mind is healthy, the body is automatically healthy. Businesses would be healthier businesses, more profitable businesses. If the employees are healthy and happy, 
it's a no brainer that they would be able to perform far better than an, an organization where every time somebody or else is getting fired for not meeting the targets if someone is following the process results would come the targets would be achieved and we have consistently been achieving the non financial targets every time so my target is next year we would be should be adding up 200 more employees we are in the process of building up a factory and the dream is to employ 1500 more people so that the factory is under we are in that the design stage we should be ready by the end of next year and the happiness that i can feel the joy of wow there would be 1500 more women who would be joining the fold and i would be getting on board my ship and i take pride as the captain of the ship i love that is the new factory close to the current factory or did you choose a different region of calcutta so you uh, could spread out just a few kilometers away from there yeah so we have two factories both are apart from each other that was part of a strategic as a business continuity plan let it be if there is some calamity or something if factories are away from each other so this one would still be slightly away from uh, the existing factory so this will be your third that would be our third factory that's a lot of capacity that would be a lot of capacity and our happy employees are bringing in all the uh, orders to fulfill the capacity i am absolutely positive about it and thanks I mean, to naumd naumd has such highly conscious uniform companies hmm. who do wish to work with other conscious uniform manufacturers i'm glad to hear you say that that's been your experience certainly when i came on board as executive director we did not have a core values statement so one of the first things i worked on with a few board members is i said i want to know what it is we stand for what are our core values and then i can um uh, make sure that the programs and services that we're providing or encouraging our members to connect with each other in ways that go with those core values and one of them thankfully is that the core value is uniform companies are good corporate citizens so exactly exactly uh, that's what you were beginning with the thought yeah, yeah it begins with a thought that's right, right. you have to say it Uh, what i i forget what famous person said it maybe it was even shakespeare <laughs> uh, who said to name it is to give it life right absolutely it is to name it to give it to give it life so if you name something then we would know this is then they work as a directive principle in a way core values and mission statement works like that like bit of a lighthouse mm. you keep an eye on the lighthouse you could still navigate lot many more nautical miles to using the shipping analogy being an ex navy cadet something i relate to <laughs> yeah and militarily we have some wars happening around the world which is unfortunate at the moment but so where do you see i don't know do you have a you're such an optimistic person and i think i am too right so i would love it if we could all adopt many of the 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 approaches that you take to your stakeholder capitalism to your conscious capitalism I, i i would love to see all of that do we believe that more and more companies will head this direction or 
given, like in our country, the dysfunction of our leadership in government does not give us hope that we are moving towards a more cooperative, loving world. <laughs> I think things are not as bad as they seem. Mm. I have to quote from one of the most optimist book that I have read. And I recommend all the members of NAUMD or anyone who is in uniform industry or anyone out there. There is a book called Factfulness by a Swedish author called Hans Gosling. Factfulness. It's a great book. And the author, he gives data to back up. I think even might, even though it might seem that there is a lot of unrest, there is indeed no disrespect to people losing lives. Hmm. But if you think of it from the previous times, we are far more, we, the human beings respect human rights far much more than what it used to be. Hmm. We are not a perfect society, but sometimes as to feel how warm it is inside, you must feel what how cold it is outside. Hmm. Probably. So I do feel some bit of unfortunate events are happening elsewhere in the world. But we still are very blessed that most of us are able to live a much better life than our ancestors have lived. And not too far ancestors. Just think of it what it was 50 years ago and think of it what it was 100 years ago. And 150 years ago, if you think it in slabs of 50 years. So we have good politicians. They have good intentions probably. But some of them are crazy. That makes the importance of the good ones to be slightly more perceived. But that would take us into a political conversation. <laughs> Let's not do that. But solely as a metaphor, I see what you're saying. That yes, you have these pockets still of, and they tend to be loud, right? So therefore they're heard because we all, we sell more news <laughs> by quoting right. the loud people. But right. I really like the thought, and I believe I've, I've subscribed to that as well, that if you say we're 8 billion people now, so, you know, the percentage of the percentage of famine, the percentage of people who don't have anywhere to live, who can't eat, who have no jobs. It's like it's all, like you're saying, it's all getting better. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, very interesting. So I know we talked a little bit about this earlier as well, but I, I like to end these podcasts by asking this question of, would you recommend the uniform industry, Anil, to to children, nieces, nephews, people graduating from college? What is it about the workwear industry or the uniform industry that would you recommend to young people? Uh, absolutely. I think uniform industry is one such great industry which gives you the pride, purpose, and the psychological safety. The three Ps, as I was speaking about, you would feel like once you get in, you can't get into, say, a fashion industry. I've met many business people who have come in from fashion industry into uniforms and they never want to go back to fashion industry. Mm. Not that, not just because there is no change of colors and fashions. Uniform industry is becoming very fashionable. Fashionable, yes. But without 
the pitfalls associated with pure fashion industry. No disrespect to the fashion industry, but uniform industry has so much of purpose into it that young people, if they join in, once they come in, they would be able to feel what it makes you feel when you sell pride. Nice. Love it. Wow, Anil, I, I knew it would be a, a, a spiritual <laughs> discussion <laughs> to speak with you today, and it did not disappoint. I really appreciate your thought leadership on so many topics related to what we do. Indeed, it has been a pleasure and an honor to speak to you again, Rick. Thank you.